Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. Well, I'm joined today by the all-star of all-star Sermon Talkback crews. First of all, my amazing wife, Paige Dees, who's here. Hello. Uh, Paige is really good friend and uh, just all-star of a lady herself, Emily Youssef. <laughs> and one of my really good friends, uh, we've known each other for almost 20 years now, Josh. Yeah, that's right. Joshua Youssef, we're all frat bros, and preacher's kids, and Atlantans, and seminary people. Like, we have a lot in common. We do. And here we are talking about Genesis 25. Um, and we've talked about a lot in this sermon. Uh, we we talked, the title of the sermon was Election, because obviously the doctrine of election is something that you clearly see um, in the passage. But Josh... Emily Page, I'll start with you, Josh. Just impressions uh, from the sermon, things that popped out at you. You know, when you mentioned that, you know, Sarah was barren first and then, um, you know, Rebecca, I began to think through the fact that God uses the weak. Yeah. That, that, that here were these barren women. The other, th- the other thing I just thought of is that, you know, with, with Isaac, or with, uh, excuse me, with Abraham and Sarah, two nations came out of two women now two two people are coming out of two nations are coming out of one womb right yeah. so god's designed to have one child of blessing one cursed right ultimately you know we as you know gentiles we we get grafted back in eventually right so we, we are because none of us are jewish right yeah right so we we ultimately get you know, grafted back into grafted the blessed back people, into the yeah. blessing people, even though that God's design was to have these two, yeah. right, ultimately. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating, too. I mean, some of the themes that you're, like, looking for in Genesis, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, is the line of Eve, right? The offspring of Eve. And so anytime there's a childbirth in the book of Genesis, you should kind of pay attention. I mean, mm. really, you know, throughout the whole Bible. And so it's interesting, right? Birth and childbearing is a huge theme mm. of the book. And actually, if you go back all the way to Eve, um, it was not Cain that was favored in God's sight, but Abel, Abel, right? The younger brother, right? And then, of course, with Sarah, you have Ishmael, and then you have Isaac, the younger brother that was favored. Obviously, Sarah only had the one child. And then now, again, two barren women, as you mentioned, and it's the younger brother that is favored. This is kind of going in the face of everything that would have been valued and known in the ancient Near East. That's right. Um, Emily, what what some, some impressions that you had? So I loved um, how you talked about how Esau believed that if he didn't have this dude, that he was going to die, and how you tied that in with Eve. Um, because she believed that if she didn't have the fruit, that she was she was going to die. So you just hear the echo of the enemy, yeah, kind of um, in this story as well. 
Yeah, that's a fascinating, because Eve was warned, right? Uh, in fact, I always like to imagine Adam and Eve walking through the garden. If you remember kind of the, the timeline of the narrative, God actually didn't give the command to Eve. God gave the command to Adam before there was an Eve. And he said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then, it, and then in Genesis 3, when Eve is repeating the command back to uh, the, the serpent, she says, we can't eat of this tree. We can't even touch it or we'll die, right? And I can almost imagine Adam being like, look, Eve, we're not even going to go near this tree. We're not even going to touch this tree. Um, so she knew the consequences of eating the fruit. But then obviously when she ate it, like you said, like what had happened in her heart was the same thing that happened in Esau's heart. He believed, okay, if I don't have this, uh, I'm going to die, which is what sin always does to us. Mm -hmm. And as you say, what the enemy does to us. All right, Paige, impressions. Yes. Okay. So when you were talking about, you know, just the story and how he comes in, he, you know, sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. First impression is kind of like, really? Did he really sell his birthright for a bowl of soup? That makes really no sense. And it kind of makes you think a little bit like, you know, how a lot of people that are not believers um, consider Old Testament stories as fables. And, you know, you can kind of see where they get that because some of the stuff just seems so outlandish. But then as you continue to preach and you started to pull out the context and the understanding of, you know, during the history of that time. And as you start really pulling back the story, it, it does start to make a lot more sense to you and it starts to become realistic. I mean, you start understanding like, okay, I get this now. This does make more sense. And then you start realizing how every single day we sell in a way, we sell our birthright for a bowl of soup and just little things that we do all the time yeah we're always trading in lesser greater things for lesser things that's right uh you know lewis has this famous quote you know about the child that trades a day in a puddle for a day at sea or a day at sea for a day in, in a puddle right he he's so pleased with the immediate puddle that's right outside of his own door that he won't go down to the sea and enjoy obviously something that is so much greater uh, and really, like you say, like that is what sin, that is the nature of sin. I mean, what is sin but choosing something other than the almighty, sovereign, good, all-powerful, holy God would desire for you? And how foolish is that? Yeah. But we do that all the time. And I also would say that, you know, for people that don't believe the Old Testament and they think that Old Testament stories are fables— I think a lot of times if you really start to understand the context, you start to understand the history, you, you, you get more of a deeper understanding, it starts to make a lot more sense to you. And I, I just think that, um, you know, it, the Old Testament stories are very extremely valuable and they're life-changing. And I love how the New Testament builds off the Old That's Testament. Right, yeah. You kept bringing that up. Like, you know, like if you're kind of doubting the Old Testament and saying, I'm not sure about this, you see how the New Testament, they build off of those stories yeah. and say, this is truth. Paul and the author of Hebrews right. are reaching back and saying, look, you got to understand this to understand what we believe now. You know, it's interesting. We actually had a, I actually got a comment yesterday from uh, someone that came to our church that's a skeptic, not a believer. Uh, and they said, well, this is one of those stories where 
uh, the descendants of Jacob are obviously trying to uh, look back at their forefather, at their patriarch, and uh, they're trying to, you know, build him up. They're trying to justify how he lived. And, and what I would say to that is that person, with all due respect to that person, hasn't read a lot of ancient myths. Because if you read any ancient myths, and obviously if you had the space of several centuries to create a myth about your forefather, you would never, ever tell this story. You would just leave this story That's out, right. right? You would never present Jacob it's as kind this kind of the Facebook shifty of that day. You uh, only yeah. have the pretty things that you show. Well, and, and actually the person was kind of making a comment how this still happens, right? And, and, and politically, right, we... We tell the stories that are convenient to tell about the political figures that we uh, desire, that we like. Well, and I would say, yeah, that, that does happen, but this is not that, right? You know, when, when you're telling the stories about the political figures you like, you talk about their successes, you talk about when they were honorable, you talk about when they were good. You don't talk about when they do kind of shifty and shady things in order to get a blessing that wasn't really theirs. You don't talk about how they were the tent dweller that everybody had kind of forgotten about, which is something something so, so interesting about the Bible. It goes back to what you were saying earlier, Josh. The heroes of the Bible are always the people that you would never, if, you, if, you, if you've ever read, read, read Beowulf, read any ancient myth story. No one is ever, you know, read uh, the Odyssey, read the, uh, uh, the Aeneid. No one has ever, this is not how you tell ancient stories. This is not ancient myth. Mm -hmm. This is clearly narrative uh, because it's too honest. It's too counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not mythical in its form. Okay, and so I've got one more thing. Yesterday when you were talking about Sammy, your dog, I felt like you didn't finish the story well <laughs> because I came into the picture after Sammy um, started living with your mother. Yes. And so I didn't know Sammy when Sammy was this athletic dog that could jump into the truck, into the bed of your truck without the tailgate down. And so when I met Sammy, Sammy looked a lot different. Why don't you, why don't you so, tell us the rest of that story? So basically, we had Sammy in Louisville at the Duck and the Goose. She was amazing. We took her everywhere. I mean, she was a total chick magnet for us, obviously, <laughs> you know, having a cool dog. And she would go swim in the river. I mean, she just was a total athlete. She was so fast. And then I think I had gone, I think it was maybe the summer I did the Middle Eastern travel seminar tour, and, and she stayed with my mom. And I was going to have one of my buddies pick her up. Well, my mom in that month fell in love with her, wouldn't give her back to me. And so she began living with my mom. And my mom started feeding her the greenies. And she fed her greenies all the time, every day. And Sammy became this huge, fat, unathletic dog. And it's ultimately, you know, kind of what killed her. Uh, and so I think you were saying, like, this story, I mean, her appetites destroyed her. Yeah. Really. I mean, she couldn't. The, the greenie had, and obviously, like, I'm going to hold my mom and somewhat responsible here, even <laughs> though uh, I know she loves Sammy. But, you know, just if you're a dog owner out there, you can only give them so many treats. <laughs> and so, but anyway, her appetite ultimately was the thing that got the better of her. And it's the same thing that happens with us, right? Yeah. You know, these appetites that you were talking about, Emily, they can destroy us. They can enslave us. Uh, and we start to think without them, I'm going to die. And it is, in fact, oftentimes our, our sin, our appetites that kill us. Yes. And Sammy could not jump basically one inch off the floor by the time I met 
yeah. her and she did try to one time to get a greenie and flipped over on her back and looked like a flipped over roach <laughs> but, <laughs> on the wood floor yeah. so it we, is it is a hard life Sammy, it is she a hard was, life living for dog. your living for your appetite is definitely does not serve you well what are some questions you guys have yeah i i think you know my question would be do you believe that jacob is has had is he a worshiper of yahweh at this point does he does he believe in God at this point? You know, and I, and I say in the, the backdrop of what you said, he's kind of shifty and skeezy. You know, yeah, that's my question. Yeah, I mean, I think probably no, because you have these, you know, other accounts of him wrestling with God, even God changing his name, which is later than that. Um, and so it, it's probably... Uh, you know, even when he wrestles with God, it's interesting because it's he kind of has the same desire. Remember, he's wrestling with God, trying to get blessed, right? He he had this keen awareness of the value of the birthright, of the value of the Father's blessing, mm. um, but yet there doesn't seem to be a fear or an awe of the Lord in him. So again, it, it's kind of hard to say. Um, I would probably say if you had to point to a conversion moment in Jacob's life, it would be Genesis 32. Um, and it, 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 verse 30 says, Jacob called the name of the place uh, Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Um, that kind of feels like salvation, right? It's, it's like I, I've realized the power and the majesty and the goodness of God, and yet he has saved me. Mm. So I'd probably say it comes a little bit later. Obviously, you know, Isaac would have been a worshiper of Yahweh. Um, so God would have been in the household, but how much does Jacob fear God? Um, it's hard to say, but but I would, I would circle a few chapters later in Genesis 32 as his conversion, if we're looking for that in scripture. That's good. How about you, Emily? So kind of um, using your analogy, of the bowl, um, or, or how you spoke about the bowl, you know, in front of us all the time, kind of um, as this pressure, you know, that we face. Um, how do we withstand that in our day-to-day -day life when we have the bowl kind of in, the, in our pocket, you know? Um, I'm just thinking about social media in our day and age. As Christians, how do we withstand that pressure of seeing the bowl constantly? I mean, there's a whole industry, right? trying to get mm -hmm. us to take from the bowl, right? Um, I know as a woman, I deal with that pressure, you know, whether it's on Instagram or just the appearance of things, like, you know, trying to always um, look the best or have the best, you know, home or, you know, how do we withstand that pressure? The ever-present stew. It's interesting, yeah, the stew that's always in your pocket. I like the way you say that, Emily. Um, it's interesting, too, in the Hebrews passage, that the two things the author of Hebrews brings up are anger, okay, so like strife between you and another person, and sexual immorality. And I think like when you talk about like even social media, what are things that Instagram can stir up, not so much anger maybe, but jealousy, the kind of looking at another person and um, thinking like, oh man, you know, what is my life? and sexual immorality, right? Uh, lust and temptation toward those things. So I think it's interesting even that like the author of Hebrews is picking up on those before then he goes and says, um, the godless Esau who traded his birthright. So 
he's kind of following this this pattern here of I think some of the same kind of things that you're talking about. Um, the godlessness of Esau who exchanged this greater thing for this lesser thing. And like you said, I think we're making that change, exchange every day. In terms of just some practical things, first of all, um, you know, I would say that you're most susceptible to sin. Um, there's, there's, these, there's this old um, uh, uh, phrase called halt, right? And I think you're most susceptible to sin when you're hurt, right? Angry, lonely, and tired. Now, you're going to be those things in life. So I think, first of all, just knowing when you are susceptible to sin. Uh, when is it in my life that I'm more prone to reach for the bull? Um, and so, for example, Esau, you know, if, if, for example, if he knew Jacob wanted the birthright, which he probably knew, if he knew uh, that Jacob was a little sneaky, um, always grabbing by the heel, which he probably knew, um, probably shouldn't have gone to seek food from Jacob, right? I mean, and obviously he, maybe he didn't, maybe he just came in and, and that was there. But um, I would just say, you know, to you, and in times of your life when you're particularly susceptible, maybe you don't carry your phone. You know, I know a lot of people that, you know, to the phone in particular, have struggled with a particular type of sin. Um, they go for a season where they have to get rid of their phone. They have to get rid of the internet on their phone. Um, another, I think, way to fight those seasons of life is community, is people around you that really know you. Uh, one of the things I said in the sermon yesterday is, would Esau have given himself the advice to sell his birthright for a bowl of stew? And of course, the answer is no. Of course, he wouldn't. And we need people around us oftentimes to help us see our blind spots. And it's not that they're so wise. It's not that, you know, the relationships we have is with these amazingly wise people uh, because most of the things that we, most of the bad decisions that we make in life aren't that difficult. We, we just are become a slave to our appetites in those, um, in those moments. So I would say just realizing when you're susceptible, surrounding yourself with good community. And then the other thing that I would say is like, um, you know, to use the story's analogy, like don't get hungry, meaning, you know, make sure that you're resting. Make sure that uh, you know, you're not spent all the time. Make sure that you're in a worshipful community and being filled up spiritually. Um, make sure that you're regularly in the Word of God and you're not distant from His voice. And, uh, and so make sure that you're not so hungry because when you do get in those states, you're obviously very, very susceptible to sin. It's a great question though. All right, and then, Let's talk about the tension between man's responsibility versus God's sovereignty. The, the whole concept of, okay, God is in control over everything. So why is man still responsible for his decision? Yeah, that's a great. That, that's a, I mean, that's a hard tension right there. Well, I mean, here's what I would say. I, I don't know uh, exactly how those two things stay in balance. And I think that was kind of the John Calvin warning. Like if you go into these things with assurance of, oh, let me explain these things to you, uh, you'll, you'll end up finding yourselves in an abyss from which there is no mistake. And there's a lot of things like that in the Christian life. Like, do we have assurance as Christians or are we to persevere as Christians, right? Well, it's both. And you know that you have assurance if you persevere, right? And so that's just one of those weird tensions. Like, is God three or is God one? Well, he's three and he is one. And if you try to resolve that 
too tightly one way or the other, you'll move off into heresy. Is man responsible? Yes, clearly in scripture, right? Clearly in scripture, man is responsible. Esau is not excused. It's not like the author of Hebrews later when he's talking about Esau trading his birthright says, well, of course, Esau had to do this because of the prophecy that was given uh, to his mother, and therefore Esau is excused for these things. No, he's called godless for exchanging his birthright for a bowl of stew. Jesus, right? Look at the, the, the most the central event of all human history, right? Isaiah 53 tells us basically exactly what's going to happen, yet Judas is held in condemnation for portraying his Lord. Uh, the Roman soldiers uh, are, are responsible. They're, they're, they're actually making a decision. The, the, the mobs that are saying crucify him, all of these people are making decisions. They're acting out in real ways that really have consequences Yet all of this is part of God's meticulous, perfect plan. How do all those things fit together? Um, well, it, we can talk a little bit about that in a second. Um, but the, the real answer is it's, it's a tension that won't perfectly be resolved on this side of eternity. And I love how Matt ended the uh, whole service yesterday. He went to the end of Romans 9 after God, after Paul has talked about all of these things, and you know, he read, of course, just Paul's beautiful response to this, which is worship, um, which is just this awe of the living God, um, where he basically just says, like, how how are we to understand, um, you know, the wonder and the wisdom uh, and the glory. Uh, of the living God. And of course, you know, we, we won't perfectly understand these things. And so um, now let's, let's back up a little bit. How do you begin to understand this? Well, something that's been helpful to me, uh, and again, anybody else speak into this, is, is just something called in kind of scripture called compatibilist middle knowledge, right? So God not only knows uh, everything that we have done, he, or that has happened. And that's an amazing thing to think about. God knows everything that has happened ever, right? Every ant that's walked across the floor of the Amazon forest, God knows his path, right? Or her path. Um, God, uh, every, everything that will happen that has yet to happen, God knows. Mm -hmm. But here's the amazing thing. This gets you, this gets you really your mind exploding. God knows everything that could happen. What would have happened? You ever play this game? Like, what would have happened if I wouldn't have done this? Or what would have happened if I would have done that? Uh, you know, uh, the kind of choose your own adventure. Like we just, we've been watching Back to the Future around our house, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, because Marty McFly goes back in time and gives George McFly some courage and gives George McFly some good advice, when he goes into the future, he's messed with the time-space continuum and his dad is now bossing Biff around, and his dad has written a book, and his, you know, his family has a lot more money, right? And so things, there was different possibilities that could have happened that Marty McFly changed. So anyway, God knows all of those potential possibilities. And God knows all of our inclinations, right? And I think that's an important thing to remember when we talk about human freedom. You're not perfectly free right? There's a, the theologians call this the difference between the freedom of indifference and the freedom of inclination. You're only free so far as you are inclined, mm -hmm. okay? 
So Emily mentioned earlier the story of Joseph, right? Which, what happened in that story? God gave Joseph a vision that his brothers would bow down to him. Now, nowhere did Joseph say, uh, okay, uh, one day that means that I'm going to be in Egypt and I'm going to be ruling over the world and there's going to be a famine. That, that was beyond Joseph's imagination. I'm sure Joseph thought the way this will be fulfilled is one day my father will choose me as the patriarch and my brothers will all bow down to me. Well, of course, he tells his brothers the dream. God knows what would have happened if Joseph got the vision. He probably was immature and he'd brag about it. And so then God knows what would have happened when his brothers saw this boastful brother coming out into the field to go and visit them. They would want to kill him. God knows what would have happened if, you know, the oldest brother Reuben would say, hold on, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. God knows what would have happened if he was sold to Potiphar, who had this lustful wife. And, and then, you know, and so on and so forth. And, and you can see God orchestrating all of these people that are making real decisions in order to play out his perfect will. And what, what uh, happens at the end of that story? Joseph says to his brothers after Jacob dies, I mean, now we're getting a forecast to the end of the book, the end of this sermon series that we're in right now. But he says, what you intended, what, what you made a real decision, what you intended for evil, God meant so that all these people could be saved. God meant for good so that, that all of these people could be saved. And so I think that's a good analogy of how God's working. Now, in the, now from, from our perspective, right, from the distance of now divine revelation and the distance of all these years, we can look back and say, oh, obviously God's working out his good purposes. But all Joseph knew was he was a slave. All Potiphar's wife knew was she really likes this good looking man that's in her house. Uh, all Potiphar knew was this guy made a move on my wife. I need to send him to prison. So everyone's making decisions in their real moment. Mm -hmm. We now, from God's perspective, because we have divine revelation, we now can see how those decisions right. were all working out. So what I would just, the advice I would give to people yes. is rest in the sovereignty of God, rest in the fact that through Christ you can know God, and live your life in obedience to his will and trust him with the results. And That's what good. I think is interesting is that Joseph still had to live out the consequences of his sin, right? through boasting and bragging, he had to go through, um, he had to live out those consequences of the sin. So I liked what you said when you said hate sin, you know, like, oh yeah, don't, yeah. Like, don't, don't say, oh, God's going to use right. this for good. So right. let's go right. have fun. Exactly. So, I mean, like you said, there's like, there's real consequences of our sin and our sin really does separate us from God. And, and so, you, okay. you talked about the tension. You have to kind of live in that tension, right? Emily's tired of me talking about this book, but J.I. Packer wrote a book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty right, of God. Yeah. And well, it's, it's sort of like, it, why does a sovereign God need people to do his sovereign work? Mm -hmm. Well, it, he brings up the point in the book. It, it's an antinomy. It's an it's a antinomy. It's, a, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's two things that are contradictory, but they're, they're, they're both true. Equally important, yeah. Or and yeah, you have yeah. to kind of just rest in that. Because I think if you don't, right, and then you said this in the sermon, you either swing all the way to hyper-Calvinism it's just sort of like we're puppets on a string. And really fatalism, Fa too. Or, yeah. yeah. And that's Islam, really. I mean, that's the whole, inshallah, is it, if God yeah. wills it, it yeah, you don't yeah. know, right? It's, it's, it's a fatalistic society. You know, or yeah, or you swing to a, a, a open theism that God doesn't know what's going to happen. He can't, he doesn't control it. We control it. And there is no God then. That's it. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm.
Either way, either way, you you rob God of His glory, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, yeah. So I think, like you said, the antinomy is such a powerful world, word, and, and I commend the book that Josh just commended uh, to just think deeply about these things. Well, guys, I, I feel like there's a lot more we could talk about, but you know, these people are probably getting to work. They're tired of listening to us on double speed on their in their <laughs> podcast. And so uh, it's probably about time we close it up. But hey, we love you guys. This has been this fun. Thank you. Uh, so for Paige Dees, Emily Youssef, and Josh Youssef, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.